welcome to the Life in General podcast. My name is Nick. I'm Ian. Yeah, you're for the second week in a row, you're the in-person Ian. I am. Not so, to be confused with the out-person Ian. <laughs> what? Uh, what's, what's an out-person? I don't know. Someone. Well, you're the one that said it. I see lots of things. doesn't mean I know what I'm talking about. Touche. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've done a couple, we've been doing music shows for a while now, right? Yeah. At least for the past year or so? Consistently for the last year, but we've always I had think, them fe- fe- peppered in. Yeah, I think we've like consistently, I think the first one we did was uh, the Bone Music episode we mm. did like early last year, I want to say. Yeah. But ever since then, we've been kind of doing these pretty con- pretty consistently. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, do we do the, so we, we've done a couple of these shows where we've like focused on one musician or one band. Man. We've done two. Well, three if you count that's the tall what, one we did twice. That's, that's what I was going to say. Though. We did the Jethro Tull one first, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. And then apparently I, apparently, I, I was accused of stealing the show. Not stealing <laughs> the show, but shifting the focus of the show from the band and the music of the band to something completely, well, well not completely. It's not completely because it's part of the, All right. it's probably. But it ju- didn't focus on. When we did the Pink Floyd episode, which was the next one, we focused solely, primarily on the music, the music. And, the, and the albums. We didn't focus too much on the arguments between Roger Waters and David Gilmore. So focusing What's... on some questionable um, money going to some artist that doesn't even affect the band. It's from the manager of the band. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's like it was just kind of... See, when we, first, when we did that first Jethro Tull episode... I wasn't really intending on it going in that direction. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was something kind of interesting about the Aqualung album cover, and we ended up spending like forty-five a, minutes. <laughs> I think we spent more than that on no, it. Maybe it was, we spent a long time talking about. But needless that. to say, I I wanted to redo it and focus solely on the albums and the music and the you know going forward. So after like we, we did with the Pink, Floyd yeah. After so, we did the the first Jethro Tull one, we did one on we did one on the music of Pink Floyd and got. Great reception. So that's when we were like, okay, we'll do, we re- decided to redo the music of Jethro Tull. So we did that one. Mm-hmm. And now we've moved on. We're going to do the music of Blink-182, which is a band that I've been a big fan of for mm-hmm. a long time. And I know- I he, like them he, more peripheral. Has, yeah, I've been more of a casual fan, yeah. I would say. But you know of their music. You've yes. heard a lot of their music over the years, especially driving around in cars with me for years. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure up until like the mid 2000s, I had pretty regular, you know, pretty regularly I had a Blink album in my. I would say CD that's player. pretty fair. Um, and and when we get to it, I'm going to point out that I I I was guilty of a kind of a misconception with the band. Oh really? Yeah. Um, which is probably what kind of stopped me from being like really engaging with their music. Mm-hmm. And I think going forward, I'm going to engage more because. I have listened to several of the albums this week, and I, I really want to kind of delve more into it a little bit. Now I'm intrigued. Yeah. And uh, it, it's it's silly, but when when we get to it, go ahead and finish okay. the inter- right. introduction, and I'll explain. So I was going to kind of run through like the formation of the band. Obviously, if you're a fan of Blink-182, you might not know all of this different stuff. But, mm-hmm. I mean, some of the stuff I wasn't even really you know 100% sure on. I had mm-hmm. to look up. I'm, you can try to fill in gaps if you can fill any, Ian. I'm sure. No, but well, anyway, so <laughs> if you ask most, any of my exes, you're going to say no, <laughs> he can't fill any gaps. 
Touche. Uh, but at least not well. <laughs> Those aren't tears on your belly. <laughs> no, they weren't. <laughs> but uh, all right. So God, that's terrible. <laughs> that's a Robert Schimmel joke, by the way. Right. Uh, from way back in the day. And I was just making fun of myself. There. Yeah. Robert, Robert Schimmel was a great, uh, a great comedian. Unfortunately, he died in a. Horrific car accident. Yeah, he was back, a pretty funny guy. It was. But uh, anyway, so back to Blink-182. So actually, I'll kinda, I'm actually going to kind of do this out of order. I was going to talk about formation of the band and then kind of talk about the name. Okay. I'm going to talk about the name of the band first because sure. I think there's... I don't it, know anything about the name of the band. The, it's it, So it's really kind of interesting. So the band, there were several different names of the band before they got to where they... Which is now. kind of a standard story for yeah, a lot so there, of rock I know bands. Duct Tape was one. Ooh, I don't then, like that. Uh, gosh, what was the other one? There was two like main ones. It was Duct Tape, and then Figure Eight was the second one. Mm, I don't yeah. like either one of those. And neither did I. So then they settled on the name Blink. Okay. And Voodoo was recorded under Blink, and then Cheshire Cat was recorded and released with the name Blink. And I see you looking up there. It doesn't. Yeah. Say, it says Blink One Eighty Two now. Right. But when it was originally released, it just said Blink across the top. Okay. And then they received a cease and desist letter from a band in Ireland called Blink. Blink. Yeah, okay. Which Blink-182 had a lot more success than the other Blink. The other Blink Obviously. released three albums in the late 90s through mm-hmm. the early 2000s. But anyway, so they had to change their name. So how they ended up on Blink-182 is actually, it's been there's been a bunch of different rumors over the years. Uh, one rumor was that, one hundred eighty-two was the um, was the number of times that Al Pacino said the word "fuck" in Scarface. Oh, uh, another rumor was that uh, one eighty-two, one hundred eighty-two was the ship number that uh, Mark's grandfather was on in World War Two. Okay, uh, so it's just a bunch of different ones. Uh, there was uh, so in two thousand eighteen, James Corden is that how you say his name? The guy that uh, the James, oh James Corden James Corden. Yeah, that's how it is. I, uh, he he had a tweet conversation back and forth with Tom DeLonge, who was the guitarist from Blink-182. Former. Uh, true, true. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, so so he said that uh, he mentioned in the tweet to Tom DeLonge, or he just tweeted out, actually, mm-hmm. that uh, the band should be called Blink-182, the way it's written, right? Okay. And so in response, Tom DeLonge actually tweeted back and said the actual name of the band is blink 18 2 and everyone has been saying it wrong for you know 30 years okay i don't i guess i can kind of see james corden's thing on that because it's just a number there's no hyphens or anything yeah blink 182 that's that's just kind of a shorthand for 182 exactly exactly. so so actually i don't see james corden's but the 18 2 you would have to have the hyphen so here's the thing. So I guess Blink, so the way the the story kind of goes and it's been kind of pieced together, and I don't know if it's actually even true, the, what really probably happened is someone was just a random fucking number and they slapped 182 yeah. with So Blink, I guess, is supposedly some kind of um, skater shorthand for the word fuck. Okay. Okay. And then 18, what's the 18th letter of the alphabet, Ian? I have no idea. R. Okay. What's the second? You should be able to get this one. What's the second letter of the alphabet? Well, that would be a B. Okay. So Tom DeLong grew up in, I think it's. I think you pronounce it Poway. 
Poway, yeah, yeah, California. Mm-hmm. So Rancho Bernardo is like his hometown's big rival. So in 1982, Tom DeLong, I'm sorry, 1992, Tom DeLong gets expelled from his high school um, in the second half of his junior year for showing up to a basket, basketball game drunk. Okay. Seems like a very strange thing to get expelled for. But anyway. I mean, suspended maybe, but not expelled. So he gets yeah. expelled and actually ends up going to the neighboring Rancho Bernardo High School. So Rancho Bernardo is like the big rival. It's like, I don't know, our big rival in high school is what, Milan? Probably. Maybe, yeah. Ian and I both went to Lincoln High School in Ipsy. So our big rival was probably Milan. So it was something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So you would think blank 18-2, fuck RB, fuck Rancho Bernardo. Oh. Okay. I mean, it's, it's. I guess it's it's all it's far far more complicated what, than it needs to be. I think. <laughs> oh, oh, I know, but <laughs> I, I, it was probably more along the lines of the cease and desist letter probably came to the record company after the release of the album, and they were like, "Okay, you guys have to change your name," and they just like one eighty, just throw an eighty one eighty two. One eighty two. But yeah. why that number? It's kind of always been yeah. the thing. Is what's it, it just, what is it? I mean, granted, it's just hindsight, but it just works. I mean, it just could have, maybe it was the rhythm of the 182. Yeah. You know. I'm sure know. there's got to be some kind of significance to it. And that's, and that's why all these different things have come out. And I think it really, once Tom came out and said, no, it's actually blank 18-2, that I think it kind of fueled the whole Rancho Bernardo kind of thing. Okay. Because that kind of makes sense. I didn't know blank was slang for fuck, but. Apparently it's like Southern California slang. Yeah, I was never Southern California skater. skater slang. Yeah, well, I never lived in Southern California, and I was never much of a skater. But yeah, but uh, not yeah. for lack of trying. I just wasn't very good at it. <laughs> yeah, so. but uh, so, yeah, that was kind of an interesting thing about what the name is, or or some of the rumors around. And there's a bunch of other ones too. Mm-hmm. But those are the there's some that are like really off the wall that don't make any sense. Those are at least the ones that kind of sort of maybe make sense in a yeah. roundabout way. I but, can see uh, it. I guess the only people who know that are the band. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like I said, uh, Tom gets expelled in 92, ends up going to Rancho Bernardo High School, and he he becomes friends with uh, Carrie, her name's Carrie Key, and starts dating a girl by the name of Anne. Her last name is Hoppus, so you can kind of assume where this is going. Mm-hmm. So during a party that year, Tom is introduced to Scott Rayner by Carrie. And Scott is much younger, first off, than than Tom. I want to say, I think he was three or four years younger than Tom. Okay. And so they start jamming together at Scott's house, and it was kind of during this time they'd go through a bunch of different bases. Mm-hmm. And the following, so the following summer, Tom finally decides to get uh, more serious about creating a band. And this was at, at, around this time that Anne introduces Tom to her brother, who is a lot older. I want to say he's three or four years young, older than Tom. Uh, so there's like a wide age, age gap in, this, mm. in, the, in the group at that point. So Tom is just new to the San Diego area. I don't know where he was living at before that. But like I said, they go through a bunch of different names, duct tape, figure eight, whatever. And they record their first demo, which is named Flyswatter. And I've seen, actually, I've seen copies of it on discogs i don't know how i don't remember how much they went for but mm. so there's actually copies of this demo out there so they record this this fly swatter demo under the name of blink and they record it in scott's bedroom in may of 93 
And the band goes on, plays a bunch of bunch of local shows, and they're eventually approached by. Um, well, before we get into, before we get to the label, they actually record another demo, which we'll talk about, mm-hmm. which is Buddha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Buddha is released in January '94, and even though technically it's not a studio album, the band, well, I shouldn't say the band, uh, Mark and Travis kind of when they when they named their most previous album that came out last year, they named it Nine, even though Nine is really technically the eighth studio album the band considers buddha their first even though it's not really a studio album it's a demo mm-hmm. i think they're kind of you're kind of splitting hairs there but anyway right. so buddha's released it's not really it's a, just a demo but the band records it in 90 january 94 and it's released through filter records so at this time that all this is going on mark is working at a music store named the warehouse and the his boss at the, at the warehouse his name is uh Pat Secor so Pat actually takes money out of his savings account and finances the recording of Buddha which eventually leads you know, years after after Dude Ranch I think it was after Dude Ranch was released it was definitely it was between, I don't remember if it was after Cheshire Cat was released or or Dude Ranch one of the two it, the album actually gets re released by another record company because there's a uh, ends up being a lawsuit between the band and Pat Secor because Pat is actually selling copies of the album and not paying royalties to the band. Right. Even though Pat in the lawsuit, Pat said that he had paid them all the royalties up front and was still going through on selling albums. It. Uh, I don't know how it ends up getting settled, but the lawsuit ends up getting settled, and uh, and Buddha got re-released. I don't know what year it was. Ninety-eight. It? Was it ninety-eight? Okay, well there you go. See, look at that, Ian. You filled in a you filled in a gap. <laughs> I did. There, take that, girls. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, so in, in October of ninety-eight, it actually gets re-released by Kung Fu Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's Buddha is. I don't know if you'd listen to it. It's definitely rough sounding and i think i did not listen to it some yet. of it's intentional it definitely has that like 90s su- southern california kind of punk sound to okay, it yeah. it but the funny thing is like when they were the when they recorded that that demo mark was 21 tom was 18 scott was only 15 years old mm-hmm. when they recorded that so it's kind of interesting. It's a, it's. I think Carousel is probably the best song off that, which they end up re-recording mm-hmm. for Cheshire Cat. Right. So they're they're going around the touring around this time, and and they end up catching the eye of. Uh, I was trying to see what label it was. Um, Geffen or MCA. So they so no this at they were approached by Cargo Music at this time. Okay. So. They end up signing with Cargo. Actually, Mark was the only one that signed for that signed the record contract because Tom was at work and Scott was a minor, so Scott couldn't even couldn't sign, sign that. Right. And uh, so it was around this time that Scott's family actually moves to Reno, Nevada, and the band had to scrape up money to fly Scott from Nevada back out to California for shows. Mm. Eventually, Scott like Scott dropped out of school and moved back to San Diego and lived with Mark and his family. Mm. So when did, uh, so yeah, so they end up releasing Cheshire cat in, uh, February 95. It's released on cargo records. Like I said, it was originally under the name of blink, but, uh, they were forced to change it when the, uh, 
when the old Irish band threw a fit about it. I actually looked their albums up today. I, was, I never got a chance to actually listen to it. I was going to, but... Mm. And the funny thing is, like, Cheshire Cat's scene is, like, this, this iconic mid-90s, like, California skate punk album, which I never really knew. But it's... I mean, it's got really... I, I, it's got a lot of good songs on it. I it, like it a lot. I think the sound of it's definitely dated to mm. that to that mid-90s sound. Yeah, it might sound. be why I like it. It uh, and there's several songs off of Buddha that are on this. So Carousel's re-recorded on this. Really good song. Yep. TV's re-recorded on here. So was uh, Strings. Fent Loser. Um, I'm sorry. Fent Toozer is the name of Toozler is the name of the song. Uh, Romeo and Rebecca sometimes and uh, Toast of Bananas were all re-recorded from Buddha onto for, for Cheshire Cat. And uh, I, I think you can definitely hear an evolution between the two. I mean, uh, the two albums are always going to be linked because of the overlap in songs and right. really the overlap in sound, I think, also. And, uh, but I think Cheshire Cat sounds a little more polished than the roughness that, that Buddha is. But I think that's also part of why I like Buddha. Mm-hmm. And... and there's a lot more there than I, on the, on Buddha than I thought I than I originally, originally thought I yeah. liked, and it uh, I think just uh, just kind of the roughness I think brings more an authenticity to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, like I said, I haven't listened to Buddha recently, as as part of this, but because I started right with Cheshire Cat, because mm-hmm. um, that's honestly that's the order they're in on Spotify. Cheshire Cat's ninety five, like I said, Buddha's ninety eight. Ninety eight, yeah, and it's not even listed on. Um, the uh, discography on Wikipedia as a studio album. What's it listed as? It's not listed at all. No, no, no. You have to scroll down. Oh, sc- you have to scroll down in other. I don't know if, if it's like compilations or something like that. It's, it's it is listed on there. But it's funny that uh, earlier earlier this year Tom was doing an interview. I don't even remember what it was on. I remember seeing video of it online. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was joking. He was talking about Cheshire Cat and actually joked about it being. The worst album cover ever. It is relatively bland. So the idea of the album cover is actually kind of funny. It, uh, the original idea came from, so Tom was at home, and there was a door-to-door salesman going around selling calendars. Mm-hmm. And there was a cat calendar that Tom liked and thought it was just a very odd calendar. And he found this picture of the Siamese cat. And he showed Mark, and they thought it was you know an interesting it'd be interesting to use it as an album cover so they uh and mark thought that it said that the the cat kind of re- reminded him of the cheshire cat from alice in wonderland mm-hmm. so they contact the uh the calendar company and of course the calendar company refused the, to let them use the picture mm-hmm. so the band goes to the art department at cargo records and the art department did enough computer enhancing to the photo to where they were like safe from claims of copyright infringement. So it's really like the the color of the eyes for one. Yeah, well, I guess the eyes, the color of the eyes definitely they said stood out in the original po- po- photo. Yeah, but no cat's eyes are that blue. No, yeah, that's exactly it. So they did enough computer enhancing to to change it to where they don't get sued, mm. which I thought that was kind of interesting. But it is a, I, I've I've it's always definitely I've always thought it was probably the most tamest album cover i've ever especially when the when you listen to the songs on there you know it's like yeah. i said it's a, it's a california punk album from the right. mid 90s and you've got this cat on the front of it um 
especially when you compare it to the say we're, uh, you can't see us right now because we're not recording this to put on YouTube. But Ian and I are both. I've got all the the records lined up on my wall, so mm. we're both like turned. We're looking, looking at them. We're yeah. looking at them. So you, if you compare that to say, Dude Ranch, which is a cow's ass and balls yeah, hanging yes. out, <laughs> or Enema of the State, which is a porn star. Yes, it, or even Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, which the album cover isn't as suggestive, but the title is definitely suggestive. Indeed, it, uh, it's 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 definitely. Uh, it's definitely the outlier as far as album covers go. Yeah. Well, and then if you look at Buddha, Buddha's at least a bit more artistic and yeah. a little bit more going on with it. Mm-hmm. So. But the, I think definitely the best songs off of Cheshire Cat, for me at least, were Carousel. I love Carousel. Uh, yeah. Touchdown Boy and TV are probably my three favorite songs off there. Mm-hmm. Did you have anything else you wanted to add about, uh, about no, the album? No, not, not, not really. No. no. Okay. <laughs> no, we, can keep, we can keep going. I'm learning with the audience here as well. Well, I was trying to. I was. I was hoping you'd fill in why I scrolled back up to see if where I lost oh, off of my oh. notes here. No, sorry, you can't rely on me for that. <laughs> Great, thanks, Ian. You're welcome. So anyway, in uh, March of '96, wait, when did uh, so Dude Ranch doesn't come out to '97? So in March of '96, you know, the band starts getting a bunch of buzz from a bunch of uh, several different uh, major labels. I know uh, Interscope, MCA, and Epitaph were the three big ones. So there was kind of a split in the band on where to sign with. Mm. I think it was probably Tom and Mark that were pushing more towards MCA. I know at the at, at the time MCA was kind of seen as almost like a a lot of the artists that MCA had signed were like older artists. Mm-hmm. It definitely wasn't into obviously this time you're looking at like the height of grunge and things like that, alternative rock. Right. And MCA wasn't really involved in a lot of that, no. it seems like. No, they were still, I think, primarily like hair bands and stuff like that. Or like older rock and rollers, right. things mm-hmm. like that. And then you had Epitaph, who is, like, at that time, that is the punk label. Mm-hmm. You know, I think No Effects was on there one time. That was, that was Rance, uh, Rance's label. So they've got roots throughout the punk industry for at least, you know, the early to mid-90s. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think it was Scott that really, really pushing for them to go with Epitaph. But they end up signing with MCA. And I think that's where kind of the split started happening between Scott and the other two band members. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're in the process of recording Dude Ranch. And I'm not sure exactly what happened. But somehow Scott manages to break both of his heels in a drunken skateboarding accident. But still manages to finish the recording of the album. Okay. And it's uh, his. I mean, he. I think Scott's drumming. Obviously, when they record Buddha, he's fifteen. Mm-hmm. So once they get up to recording Dude Ranch, there's obviously a progression mm-hmm. in his skill as a drummer. And I think out of those three albums, Dude Ranch is definitely his best work, right? Musically. But uh, from from the way it sounds, it sounds like Scott really kind of quickly became disenfranchised with the whole experience being with a with a uh, a major label he really felt that the that the label really limited the band creatively and uh you know it, like i said he really felt that they should have went with epitaph and, and maybe went down that road mm-hmm. but i i don't know in, in hindsight i think mca was probably a better bet i think well it, they, it didn't seem to hurt them in the long run no, no. I mean, they could have just as easily have finished Dude Ranch and disappeared. Yeah. You know. And, uh, oh, for sure. But so in early in 98, so they re- re- release um, 
They released Dude Ranch. Dude Ranch comes out June of 97. It's released on MCA, like I said. It sounds pretty pretty good. I mean, it sold, it sold just under 1.5 million copies worldwide. Mm-hmm. And so it came out in, in late 97. I don't think I really heard it until the Damn It single came out, which was like early 98, I want to say. Yeah, that sound right? that sounds about right. Wasn't it used in a couple movies? No, I don't know if that song was. That was. I know they have other songs, but I thought Damn It was too. No, I know one of their songs was in one of the American Pie movies. Yeah, it but wasn't think, Damn It, but it no, was. it wasn't. It because uh, that was that would have been what ninety nine, ninety nine, yeah, yeah. So that's probably Enema of the State was big at that time. But anyway, the uh, I, I think you can look at Dude Ranch and you listen to the the style of it. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to I listen to it yeah, recently. I think it's really easy to hear the influence that a major label had on the on the band and, and that uh, on that album mm-hmm. when you listen to I don't know what song it is. I think there's a song off of Buddha that was that they actually re-recorded and put on Dude Ranch. If memory serves me correct. I don't I, don't, I haven't listened to Buddha in a long time, but mm-hmm. I think there was a song they re-recorded. So I, I think you can definitely tell, you listen to it musically, there's definitely a, a progression. And they continued with this theme that they started in Buddha, they used in Cheshire Cat, they definitely used it in Dude Ranch, and that's this theme of refusing to grow up. Uh, real quick, Can't Hardly Wait was the movie Damn It was in. Oh, okay. What year did that? Movie? 98. That was 98? Okay. Yeah. So that was before American Pie. Before American Pie, yeah. But I knew I knew it was in a movie, and that was one. I mean, that was we were in our late teens when those movies came out, so we were still kind of, you know, in that. We, in we the, went and saw in that frame. We all went and saw Can't Hardly Wait in the yeah. theater. <laughs> we all went and saw American Pie in the theater. Yeah, that know, we did. So. I think I saw all the American Pie movies in the theater. Uh, Maybe not American Wedding. It wasn't so the, last I, the one. first two we saw. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Amer- no American Wedding and then American Reunion. Oh, okay. But, uh, you know, so they all the songs off of Dude Ranch, they wrote basically while they were, that while they were touring the year before. So they go into the, into the studio with basically the songs that they had. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like you said, Damn It was a, you know, I, I looked it up, Damn It was released as a, as a single in late 97. So it was really from late 97 through the summer of 98. I mean, remember, not summer of 98, the song was huge. Right. Because uh, I think I started work, I, I was working at a place called Allied Building Products, and that's that I started there in June. I remember hearing that song all over the place then. Right. But the, so by the end of end of the decade, Dude Ranch is actually a platinum selling album. So I, within that within that three year span, it actually sold enough. hundred thousand copies, yeah. I think, is what is, is that was it? I, I think a hundred thousand is where you hit platinum. Gold is a million. Okay. Silver is somewhere in between. I thought it was gold and then platinum. Yeah. Oh, you might be right. Maybe it's gold is a hundred thousand. It's, 000 it's and sil- silver, million. gold. Yeah, silver, gold, and then platinum. Okay. Um, so the funny thing is, so the, the I mentioned Scott being against signing with MCA and felt the MCA was going to interfere with him. There's actually a song that they had planned to do on Dude Ranch, and it was a spoof of the song Macarena, of the uh, Macarena. Mm-hmm. And the title of it was "Hey, wipe your anus." Was the uh, was going to be the title of it? Okay, I can kind of see how it I fits see in it, the, yeah, yeah. in Macarena. But uh, so I guess MCA stepped in and didn't necessarily tell them not to do it. But I guess they strongly warned them against recording the song. Mm. But, 
Well, I mean, you start to get dangerously close to Weird Al Yankovic kind of uh, spoofery there. Yeah, but it's something um, that they, I mean, it's something that they've done, maybe not to that level, but they did have some kind of like, they, you know, Aliens Exist, which is on Enema of the State, mm-hmm. is a song obviously about, you know, aliens. And right. There's A New Hope on Dude on Ranch, Dude Ranch right. which is about... Princess Leia. Princess Leia. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it, so they've got songs in that kind of spoof range, even though they're not spoofs, but they're, right. they have more a uh, comedic edge to them. Oh, yeah. No, that's one of the things that I, I was going to point out. Having, I haven't, I didn't get a chance to listen to the entire catalog leading up to this show, but I did, I started with Cheshire Cat and did Dude Ranch. I skipped over Enemy of the State because that was one that you played a lot. Yeah. Uh, I listened to Take Off Your, Your Hat. Take off your pants and jacket. jacket. Yeah, it's a masturbation joke. It's a masturbation joke, and um, I listened to that, and then I went kind of to the the far end and listened to the new newest album, Nine, and California. Okay, and the one thing I notice is there's, I mean, as a as a, I'm just a natural progression, I would imagine because they're older, but the newer albums kind of lack that humor. Oh, that well, was well, very, I, very present in those, it, those early It was, years. but there are songs like... Well, I know, there's... Uh, we uh, Built This Pool. Yes. <laughs> say, that was the last song that was playing when I pulled into your driveway. Yeah. <laughs> so. And uh, there and Bohemian Rhapsody, which is the last song on California. Which I didn't get to. Which you didn't get to. Yeah. The only lines of the song were is... Uh, God, what is it? It's uh, There's something about you I can't quite put my finger in. Oh, okay. It's the only line of the so song. So there is some humor there, but there's... <laughs> There's some very, it's very melancholy, at least, especially nine. I found nine to be very, um, so the funny thing introspective is, and yeah. And, and I was going to get to about, I'll, we'll talk, I'll, 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 I'll talk about it now mm-hmm. is there's, there's this like big gap between the, the Tom section of Blink mm-hmm. and the, and the Matt Skiba albums. Right. And that is, I think a lot of the humor came from Tom. Tom right. I know Mark Hoppus is had a lot of like depression issues and things like that in his past. And I think a, a lot of that bleeds through into the songs he writes. Mm-hmm. Um, even take Enema of the State. Probably my favorite Blink-182 song is, is called Adam's Song. And it's a song about suicide. Mm-hmm. Kid goes in his room and kills himself. And that's what the whole song is about. And it, and so even like back then, there are Elements more, more of those, more serious more of those darker tones. Yeah. And the funny thing is about Nine is so they completed the, uh, the album and they presented it to the record company, and the record company is like, all right, this is a great album, but it's way too dark. You guys have to put something happy on it. Mm. And they created, they wrote Happy Days and stuck, slapped okay. that on there. That's a good song. It actually, is, yeah. it is. But, uh, you know, going back to Dude Ranch, I think my favorite songs, uh, Damn It's obviously a great song. Josie's a great song. Uh, a New Hope and then Untitled. All those are, are great songs. Mm-hmm. But uh, Yeah, I mean, that was just one of the little things that I noticed, just like I said, kind of going that, through that progression yeah now wasn't um skiba wasn't he the lead singer for alkaline trio he is the lead singer. he, still is. he okay. still is matt skiba I, and, is, is and the for lead some singer. reason not knowing as much about the band as you do i and and then going and listening to those albums i was assuming that it was his influence because alkaline trio is probably a, i would assume more of an emo-ish kind of a band yeah, not really. I've never really listened to them to be to be completely honest. No, I, I would say they're more on like the punk spectrum uh, than say Blink is. Oh, okay. Maybe I need to listen to them then. But uh, yeah, I mean, 
like I said, I, not knowing that, I kind of assumed that it was his influence more than... Oh, you mean like the darkness the, of it? Well, just more the melancholy, because it's more melancholy. Yeah. And I was like, and, 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 like, wow, this is what Counting Crows would sound like if they were a punk band. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was thinking when I was listening. To, like, That's kind of a, a good comparison, actually. Yeah, so. But uh, yeah, I, I'm sure some of that probably does come from from Matt also. I know that, uh, um, was it Black Rain yeah. uh, off of Nine? Which mm-hmm. Black Rain's kind of Which fun. is actually a really good song. It I, is. It, it's it, probably my favorite one on that album. It's, After you know going through it all at once, yeah. So. Black Rain's kind of funny because it, it. I think it's probably the best song that Matt has ever written. Um, it's and now, granted, I haven't listened to the entire Alkaline Trio catalog, but I've listened to a lot of it. Matt's a great writer. Right. He, you know, he just has a way of of cre- creating. It's kind of like the same way with, with take Roger Waters. You know, obviously, mm. I'm not really comparing the two bands, but right. Roger Waters is a guy that that is able to write these great songs, but not necessarily always musically craft great songs and i think alkaline trio kind of falls in that category also matt skiba is great at writing songs and but they don't always play out i think the way that they necessarily should and then when you combine them with you know a talented lyricist and and bass player in mark and right i you know when the band gets their hands on what he's put together you take travis who i think is probably the the greatest drummer of the past 20 years in rock music, at least. Mm. It, it, well, that's debatable, but well, that's good. Why, that's I'm why I said saying. I, Yeah, I think. I mean, in the last 20 years, I mean, it's like, musically, I mean, it's he, he's been all over the place. But anyway, mm-hmm. when you, I think when you take what, what Matt brings to the table and combine him with them, I, I think you you get what you get there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so with Black Rain, it's kind of funny because it's a song that focuses on faith and religion. And... And John Feldman, I must have missed that. Well, so hold on. Well, I, there was <laughs> actually I like the song, but there, there was that. more of it there. So, so John Feldman actually, who produced Nine, kind of helped them craft that song. And when Feldman kind of and John kind of saw that more of an uplifting embrace of salvation, and then Matt kind of took that and went in a completely different direction with it, and crafted this like it's actually he he says it's a critique of organized religion Mm. is what black rain is and you know he he said he took john's like hopeful churchy idea and painted it black is what he said Mm. as it should be (laughs) maybe that's the way again that's why i like it (laughs) um so yeah it's it you know the uh after Dude Ranch comes out. Obviously, they start touring, and apparently Scott, I don't know what kind of loss, but they just said he suffered a tragic loss and had to fly back home mm-hmm. during the tour. And they replaced him with Travis Barker, who was the drummer for the Aquabats at the time. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, different things happen. I don't know what exactly happens between the two of them, and Scott's kind of no longer officially, officially in the band. In the band. Yeah. I know that he said that According to Scott, I guess the band, Mark and Tom, gave him an ultimatum to either go to rehab and quit drinking or he was going to be out of the band. Mm. And he said he went to rehab and they still fired him. Mm. But, uh, you know, that's it, it's one of those things we'll probably really know. Never, we'll really never know the truth of what happened there. Right. But they permanently were, end up replacing him with, with Travis. And there's a song on their 
think it came out in 2005. Their greatest hits came out, and uh, there's a, a new song on there called Man Overboard, which is about partially about Scott's alcohol abuse. But So they obviously everyone knows Enemy of the State comes out in 94. It's a gigantic hit. Sold over 15 million copies worldwide. Mm-hmm. So I have the pop punk genre it's probably i'm sure it's got to be the highest selling album maybe maybe not i don't know how much i'm sure probably outside of american idiot is probably the highest mm, maybe i'm sure american, i don't know what the numbers are so i, I, I don't say. i don't know what american idiot sold but i'm sure american, it's, 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 sold, it's probably yeah. it's probably higher than that but i don't know say it's probably number two or got to be right up there mm. um and and so it's the first album with travis barker on it and it's also the first album produced by Jerry Finn. And I think it's it's Travis I think that really kind of helps Blink find that signature sound mm-hmm. that they really manufactured with that album and really carried through you know really through the rest of their career they have. Yeah. And it's another album that kind of con- continues along that same central theme that all their albums did. It's kind of have that uh, refusal to kind of grow up feeling, yeah. but they also start kind of separating themselves from that also. Right. Like I said, you well, know, that's yeah. There, there's this, um, this fun side of teenage angst there. Yeah, that Green Day kind of had too. Whereas then that's not obviously not present in the latter albums, but yeah, um, song like more so Anthem Two. Yeah, um, you know that's that's a. It's an anthem, but it's a generational anthem that could be for any genera- yeah. any teenage generation. But I think they, kind of, they, they kind of start separating themselves away from that with a song, say like Adam's song, which is mm-hmm. on Enema of the State. Where, and that's why I said they kind of start touching more so on some of that darker tone that they continued with, with Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's funny, though, because a lot of their earlier fans, the fans from Buddha cheshire cat into dude ranch really rejected this album because they felt that it was more you know the sell out yeah exactly the band was trying to get that radio friendly kind of sound which i don't think i don't think it was something that they really intended to do no it was and quite honestly i mean it's obvious that like you said it's there's an obvious difference between say dude ranch and enemy of the state but there's also enough similarity there that you know you know what band you're listening to, yeah. uh, but they did the same thing to Green Day. No, I you don't. know it's nobody's ever going to be happy with anything. No, so. you know I think that uh, I think a lot of the change in sound though, and the way that they approach their songs, I think a lot of that comes from Jerry Finn. Mm-hmm. You know, Jerry Finn was responsible for that fast-paced. Uh, kind of melodic kind of sound that the album has, mm-hmm. you know, and it's really a sound that they kind of can have, have continued on with. Right. But right. I, I don't know if you know much about Jerry Finn. Jerry Finn was a he was really responsible for a lot of that punk music, pop punk music through the. I mean, I guess not really necessarily pop punk, but a lot of like more popular music through the nineties. Okay. You know, he's uh, let's see, he really started out in ninety two. He did. Uh, I don't remember if you remember the the. I don't know if they were R and B or what they were, but Color Me Bad. Oh yeah, you remember that band? He was an assistant engineer on their Young, Gifted, and Bad album from '92. Um, I'm trying to scroll through here and see see what else he did. In '93, he was the assistant engineer on the Muffs um, 
self-titled album. He did some work with Taj Mahal in 93. Uh, he did uh, Elvin and the Chipmunks, a very chipmunk, a very merry chipmunk. Is He was mm. the assistant engineer on that. I just throw that out because it's, yeah. it's one of those things. But anyway, he did some work with Body Count in the 90s. Uh, he did all the mixing on Dookie by Green Day. Okay. Um, let's see what else he did. He did some work with Matthew Sweet. Um, Dance Hall Crashers. He was did the mixing for Lockjaw. Goo Goo Dolls. He was the engineer and did the mixing for a boy named Goo. He was did all the mixing for Insomniac by Green Day. Uh, so you can kind of see the progression here. He's right, kind of right. then, he, then he starts getting a lot of like punk stuff. He did the um, Blonder and Blonder. He was the engineer. That's an album by the Muffs. Mm-hmm. Um, he did some work with Penny. He produced About Time by Pennywise. He was a producer for And Out Come the Wolves by Rancid. Um, which is a great album. Which is a fantastic album. So what else he did? Uh, he did some other work. He did uh, Bowling, 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 Parking, Parking, which I don't know. It's by Green Day. I don't know what it is, though. i never heard of it before. Yeah, me neither. Um, let's see what else he did. Um, he did uh, two. He was did all the mixing uh, on the album Two by Presidents of the United States of America. Oh, okay. Destruction by Definition, which is a fantastic punk album. He did all the mixing. That's a Suicide Machines album. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did the mixing for uh, Good Riddance this, uh, by Green Day. Did, I guess just that song because it's all, it's all he's listed on for. Um, let's see. He did uh, did some work with Smoking Popes, which is a, a band I just recently stumbled across. They, they've got a lot of good music. He did all the mixing for The Living Ends self-titled album, which is a fantastic album. Um, let's see. Life Won't Wait, he did all the mixing on for by Rancid. And then, and that's when he got into Blink. At that point, he does all the he does from there. He does, he does. He's the main producer. He well, he is the producer on Enema State. Take off your pants and jacket and their self-titled album. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mixing in there, he did some producing for Offspring. Um, he did. He was the producer for the Ever Passing Moment by MXPX. Um, what else did he do? What else? Um, he did uh, All Killer No Filler by Some Forty One, which is another fantastic album. Mm-hmm. Uh, he produces Boxcar Racers, self-titled album, but it uh, does a lot of work for Alkaline Trio, AFI. Uh, even he gets in, even he even gets into like Nancy Sinatra. Hmm. Uh, he did the producing for Alkaline Trio, a bunch of other stuff. But anyway, uh, he, he ends up dying in two thousand eight. Okay, so he did. I think it was like his influence on their sound through those three albums that really set them up. Go forward to go yeah. going forward. To, just a side note: the uh, bowling, 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 parking, parking is a live album. It's a live EP. Okay. Um, it was released in 1996, and it was recorded in Japan, but it's just an EP. Okay. So maybe uh, that's it's also it... known as Explosion Level or Explosion Live. Huh. I've never heard so. of either one of those. And as someone who's been a Green, Green Day, Day fan, fan since the beginning, pretty since much since a very, very long time ago, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've never heard of them. I'll have to check them out though. It's like I, it's I know EP, you're, It's probably yeah, not, and you're not a big fan of live albums, but I, I enjoy no. Live I, I have live. Um, well, I, I have it somewhere because I don't really have CDs anymore. But um, I have the CD uh, "Bullet in the Bible." Okay, yeah. So Green Day is one of those bands you can listen to them live. They're good live. Yeah. So especially that when they pretty much do the whole American Idiot album live. Yeah. So they're. Uh, but going back to Anima, though, I think a lot of people kind of look at Anima the state. It was like their big breakout album. Well, yeah, yeah, but I think they also hear, you know, some of those goofier singles on there. Mm. You know, What's my age again? And all the small things are two songs that, 
you know what? When I listen to them, I, I, I mean, I listen to the songs, but they're not, they're not even close to being the best songs on the album. No, they and never think, are. And I think those two songs, I think a lot of people pigeonhole that album with those two songs. Right. And they kind of think that's what Blink-182 is, and it's really not. Right. Well, I have the same problem with Jazz Bartell and Aqualung. You yeah. Know, Aqualung and Bungle in the Jungle are the two songs that just like, that's the song people know, and that's what they associate the yeah. band with. Yeah. I think Enema kind of starts that progression of the band mm-hmm. from this like goofy 20 something band to more of a, like a mature sound right. that you would see more so in their next couple of albums. I just like the porn star in the cover. Yeah. That's uh, I, for, I forgot what her name is. Though, yeah, I don't she remember. was, uh, she was pretty well known at the time. She was, but uh, I think the best songs, obviously I think Adam's song, which I is probably, like I said, it's probably my favorite Blink-182 song. Mm. That's a great song off there. Dumpweed, which I love the intro of, of Dumpweed. Is a fantastic song, which is the first song off the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, Going away to college is a great song. So is Anthem. Yeah, and really the whole the whole album the whole album is yeah, good. It's really good. Like I said, I skipped it on this re-listen because it's probably an album you've heard a many, lot, many many yeah. times. Yeah, it is. Well, to be fair, I, I think "Take Off Your Pants and Jacket" I think was another one that. I was almost even kind of burned out on for a while there. Oh, yeah, because I listened to both when of you those got that, a lot. When you got that one, I don't think it came out of your car No, probably, for like a year. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. So Take Off Your Pants and Jackets, released in June of uh, 2001. Mm-hmm. It's another MCA album. It, it's sold fantastic. I mean, it sold over 14 million copies worldwide. So it sold almost as much as Enema of the State did. And whereas Enema of the State kind of took some time to gain steam, mm-hmm. Take Off Your Pants and Jacket was a hit right from the get-go. Right. Well, it was still, it was coming off of the success of Enema exactly. of the State. Exactly. You know, it's re- it was released, what, uh, just a couple years after. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it actually wasn't. It was recorded, it was released. Well, 99 was Enema of the State. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, yeah, it was 99. Yeah, so two years later. Mm-hmm. I think I said 94 when I was talking earlier. Oh. Obviously, I was wrong. I didn't catch it, it if you did. <laughs> 99, because they just yeah. had the, they just had the anniversary tour for enema of the state last year so mm-hmm. uh yeah so it was recorded it was released two years later so it's right on the back of of enema of the state and uh the the funny thing is the name of the album is an obvious reference to masturbation so obvious that we didn't catch it so obvious yeah it took me like <laughs> it was like it, i mean i kind of i kind of suspected but i was like it's almost too on the nose yeah i mean that's it just always seemed too obvious to me it was one of those things where it took me like several years. I'm talking it was probably just a couple of years ago when I was like, oh my God, why did I never catch that before? Right. Well, like I said, I always suspected it was the case, but it, you know, I, I obviously have a dirtier mind than you. Oh, whatever. But, um, but I, it was one of those things where it's like you, you run the risk of, of overanalyzing it. When it comes to something sexual, you never want to overanalyze anything because yeah. then you're just, you're just projecting at that point. Yeah. So. I know that uh, MCA wanted the band to basically record Enema of the State Part 2. Right. And that's and, pretty much with any artist that hasn't yet. Yeah. And, I mean, they kind of did somewhat go down that road, but I think Take Off Your Pants and Jacket definitely has a more darker, heavier tone and sound to it. I can see that. With a lot of those But it still, it still has the humor to it, too. Of course, yeah. Know. Yeah. So... Happy Holiday was it uh, Happy Holidays you bastard I think is the <laughs> still love that song <laughs> that was the one I loved back then did, did have you li- did you listen to that yeah, album too Yeah I I did I made it through that one and then I went from that 
all the way over to nine okay. and then went back to California. Went back to California. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it was really, there was, it was during the recording of Take Off Your Pants and Jacket that I think some of that tension started to grow between the the band members. Because I think they were kind of getting burned out from, I mean, they they probably toured nonstop for well, warp tour, two they years. Were, yeah, they were warp Tour with warp Tour for forever. forever. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think the, the, it was during the recording sessions that I think a lot of that started to to come up and I all would ultimately kind of like rear its ugly head a couple of years later and ultimately in 2005 the band Breaks broke up. Yeah. But uh you know the album was a sight was a this it was a gigantic success. I mean it was, if, I know kids today probably don't know what this it was or or but uh TRL Total Request Live is that what it was on mm-hmm. MTV Blink-182 was on there all the freaking time. Right. Because of that album. And there were, I mean, a bunch of hits off of it, obviously, too. But, uh, but I, like I said, there was a, uh, the more of a mature, kind of darker sound and tone to those albums. A lot of, like, darker themes. There were songs about, uh, you know, divorce and things like that on the album and that you didn't necessarily see on some of their earlier albums. Mm-hmm. But, like I said, I think it's also a, a progression that you just well, musically go through. When you have a band that, that is competent and knows what they're doing, there's going to be progression because they're they're going to mature naturally, yeah. as, as all people do, and they're going to mature in their craft as well. Yeah. The, the funny thing is there's apparently critics that consider Take Off Your Pants and Jacket a concept album, huh? which I don't really see. I don't think from what I and what I've read about it, I don't think the band really considers it one either. You know, the because the it's the theme of it's like the chronicling of adolescence and like the feelings associated with. I don't really think that's there's a, elements of that in all their albums. Exactly, their it's, early it's, albums. That's why I, and that's probably why I don't really consider it a concept album. And I don't think the band does either. Right. I think it's a stretch to kind of get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the. Rock Magazine Kerrang, they, uh, back in 2016, I think it was, they released an, a list of the top 50 albums of the 2000s, and Take Off Your Pants and Jacket was at number 14 on that list. Hmm. The, uh, I, I guess, like, if you don't really, if you're not really familiar with the album, uh, if you're going to go back and listen to it, I think, uh, Reckless Abandoned is probably the one of the better songs off there. The Rock Show, which was a big hit of theirs. Anthem Part 2, Stick It Together for the Kids, which was another big hit. And uh, Online Songs, which is actually a sequel to Josie off of Dude Ranch. Okay. Yeah. I didn't catch that. But... No? I don't think it's something that's really like obvious. Right, right. Well, just especially on casual listening, because even though I was, you know, Bit more focused than I've been in the past on on their music this past week. It's still I couldn't I wasn't like sitting there reading the lyrics. Yeah, exactly. And, you you're know, you're not like delving into the no. song. I so. may go going forward. I I will, but yeah. you know, just trying to prepare myself for this as best as I'm capable of preparing myself for anything. Yeah. Um, you know, I was more of a casual listen. That, that's the funny thing is about doing this episode opposed to say the Pink Floyd episode is. Obviously, I've been a bigger Blink-182 fan for a longer period mm-hmm. than I have been uh, of Pink Floyd. So I took like two weeks doing all the notes for the Pink Floyd show. I did a lot of the, the notes for today's show in probably you know less than 12 hours. Okay. Well, I listened to 
five albums, so whatever that amount of time is. <laughs> I actually, I've like over the past week, I've listened to all their albums at least multiple, at least twice. Right. I mean, I was listening to them all all this morning too. While I was working on this stuff, but uh, mm. so that brings us to their self-titled album, which comes out in November two thousand three. I think it's their best album. I think mm-hmm. it's I think their self-titled album, in, in my humble opinion, and of course I'm nobody, but uh, I think it's one of the best. I'd say probably best top ten, top fifteen albums of the past 30, 40 years. You're not nobody. You're the co-host of the show. But in the musical <laughs> realm, I'm nobody. <laughs> well, this show is talking about Blink-182, yeah. and you're the co-host of the show, so you, your opinion means something for this. Uh, the funny, So th- with this album, I, it didn't it obviously didn't sell as well. It only sold about 7 million copies worldwide. So still, still, in 2003, of, that's still an accomplishment because you've it got is. Napster is running full strength at this point, yeah. um, or has been running full strength at this point. The record industry is dying. De- decimated at this point. Right. So to well, sell seven to, be to sell to sell seven million records as a rock band, yeah. we take the punk part out of it as a rock band and, in two thousand three. That says something. And actually, those sales were mainly in two thousand four because it was released no, at the end of well November eighteenth two thousand. Fair enough. You know, it's still it's the only two albums that are I would, rock albums that are going to sell like that is that one and. American Idiot. Yeah. And that's, that's that's pretty much all that sold like that. As far as rock albums go. As as far as rock albums go. But the, uh, I think a lot of fans, a lot of Blink fans who were, some of them who were alienated by what they did with End of the Estate, I think really felt alienated and rejected this album. Mm -hmm. Because it was such a drastic difference musically for the band. And I think it's an album that really kind of completed that musical evolution of the band. They kind of, at this point, they were kind of, they were rid of that, like, goofiness. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think off the top of my head there's really no, like, outlandishly over-the-top goofy songs on this album. It's the album I probably should have listened to because it's the one I probably know the least. Yeah. It's well, going of the say the original, you know, run. Of the, yeah, the original group, grouping of albums. Uh, so, it, like I said, they they started out as you know late teens, early twenties kids writing about adolescence, and at this point, they're all in their thirties, right? And they all you know they're all married or at least have kids. I don't know if they're all married at this point, but they all had they all had kids, and and they were just at a different place in their lives. And it's a lot of people just kind of they wanted Enema of the State. They wanted take off your pants and jacket, and then when self title came out, they it was like nothing that that the band had done at that point. So they really kind of, I I think it was like warning for Green Day fans. Yes, exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. It's a, it's a great uh, comparison mm-hmm. there, but uh, it was it was also their last album with Jerry Finn. Like I said before, he died in two thousand eight. He actually died of an intracranial uh, hemorrhage. And then he has a, a massive MI. He actually died on my birthday in 2008, I, which I didn't know. I knew he died in 2008, but I didn't know it was on my birthday. But. And it was funny, though. So the, they rent a house to record this album. And they have porn playing continuous, on like continuous loop through the house. Okay. And they also have a space set up in the garage for them to, and I'm using air quotes for the people that obviously no one can see me, but right. they to they have space set up in the garage to smoke hella weed 
during the recording. Halloween. Halloween. Okay. So, the, <laughs> so the the recording progress the process like drags on, right? And uh, why wouldn't it? You got porn and weed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why did he even bother working? <laughs> so prior to the recording this album, when they recorded their first couple of albums, they always they had a process mm-hmm. that they would go through, and it was so they'd go up, they show up to the to the studio to record with like half written songs already, mm-hmm. and they would kind of go in and kind of craft the rest of them. And with this the, with this album, it was they 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 wanted to have more of like a cohesive album. So they would go in and they would record and they would craft the songs together on the spot. And they would, they're they're They very just, much written in the studio. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And they wanted, they attacked, they said three to four songs a day to work on. Mm-hmm. And I think the result really kind of shows that also, because it's a much more cohesive album than anything that they recorded before that or really since. And uh, so in April of 2003, so they're in the process. They've been like months recording this album. In April, the 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 owners of the house actually kick them out. Okay. (laughs) Before the before the album's even completed, it wasn't completed until July of that year, I think. Okay. And uh, during an interview, after the fact, Tom said that uh, if he wasn't smoking up half of Columbia, he was rate he was uh, he was watching up to three million dollars in porn. (laughs) So. How do you how do you quantify that? I guess back then you had to pay for you had to it. Pay for it. So oh. their porn charge. He said they racked up three million dollars in porn charges. Wow. <laughs> but she I guess just it, waited and fucking gotten it for free. But anyway. Well, yeah. Well, now now you can. But yeah, yeah. they uh, yeah because you figure at that time you're paying for porn. So right. If you've got porn on continuous loop. Yeah, that's expensive. I would imagine it gets expensive. Uh, and I was wrong. They they finished recording in August two thousand three. So it was a couple months later. Okay. But uh, yeah, Mark said the the kind of the goal for the album was to to you know create the it was um, I guess to you know each song would develop like chapters in a book is kind of what he was getting at, and you know that the songs would like segue into each other, which I think is kind of an interesting way to like go into a recording process with that mm-hmm. kind of with that thought process, All right? You know, I don't know if it's a, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I would assume that a band would kind of go in and be like, okay, let's just do these songs right. or create these songs. But to like go into the beginning of the process and say, okay, we want this to do this and go in this direction. Well, there's a much more conceptual element yeah. to it than take off your pants and jacket. Ex- exactly, exactly. You know, probably more like a, a mid-70s Yes album compared to... Um, you know, yeah. early two thousands punk yeah. album. And I guess if you listen to at least through the beginning part of the album, you hear that continuity mm-hmm. through the songs. So I guess that makes sense. I guess I really never listened to. It. I mean, it's I never really pay attention to that kind of aspect of it. It's a fantastic album. There's no, I'll probably listen to it on my way home. Tonight. There's there's no song that isn't a good song on the album. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think definitely like the first song, feeling this, which is the first song on the album, is a, is a fantastic song. Um. I miss you, violence down always. All of this, which is with Robert Smith, mm, okay, with, from the Cure. Yep. Uh, that's a fantastic song. I'm lost without you is also a great song. And there's this like musical interlude on there before Stockholm Syndrome, 
where it's, and I didn't know this until a couple of years ago, but it's actually a letter that Mark Hoppus's grandfather wrote his grandmother while he was fighting in World War II. I think you told me about this. Yeah, before, and it's a British a British actress reading the, the letter. letter. Yeah. So I, I thought that was kind of an interesting mm-hmm. kind of aspect to the album. Yeah. Any any, any other thoughts on the? No, because I like I said I didn't get a chance to release. Oh, okay, this that's one. true. The uh, so after after this album was released, two thousand three, you know the band would tour and they ended up going on indefinite hiatus in two thousand five, mm-hmm. basically due to musical differences, mu- at least differences in musical direction. I know Travis and Tom had gone off and done the Boxcar Racer album, which I know. Mark Hoppus is on a song on that album, um, but I know there was some, you know, articles and stuff that I saw online where they talked about that Mark, even though he was somewhat involved with the album, he was kind of what was he the, did he didn't like the fact that they kind of went off and created something without him. What is what? Yeah. It says <clears throat> here. Excuse me. Um, the trio was compelled to take a break and subsequently. Pre- participated in various side projects boxcar racer and transplants transplants is a band that travis was in okay just just travis yeah okay and then uh and then tom created angels and airwaves right right and that was kind of where he went in after 2005 which is probably and it's very different from anything blink was doing oh absolutely and probably more where he was seeing the band going opposed to where where the where you know mark and travis yeah exactly So, I I can see the musical differences. Oh, absolutely, there absolutely for sure. But it really wasn't until after Jerry Finn's death, which the band was really close with Jerry Finn. Mm-hmm. So Jerry Finn dies in August of two thousand eight, and then I think it was in September of two thousand eight that Travis was in that plane crash mm-hmm. and almost died. And it was really after that that the band kind of reconciled, right? And decided to finally. Doesn't bear- sound like there was a very heavy disagreement it's just well we're we're going in music, different musical directions so i guess i guess they had some uh, uh some very heart to heart like conversations and, and they were very blunt with each other after after the plane crash and all that to, okay. to kind of bury the hatchet and all that gotcha. which i don't think they did a really good job of burying the hatchet because so the moving on to neighborhoods neighborhoods released in september 2011 so the band I think it was in 2009 at the Grammys, the band announces on stage that they're back together, Mm -hmm. right? So, like I said, September 2009, Neighborhoods comes out through DGC, which is David Geffen Company, right? right? So that's the same label that kind of grows around. Okay, okay. So the the album, it sells okay. It sells uh, about 500,000 copies worldwide, which isn't fantastic. But in 2011, that's not bad. That's not bad. That's that's pretty good. Uh, so it's definitely like listening to the album. I don't know. Did you listen to Neighborhoods no, I didn't at all? Get to it. So, no, unfortunately. Neighborhoods is it's a very disjointed album. Okay, it's kind of the best way I can put it. The band didn't record the album together. First off, they were very rarely in the studio together. Oh, so it's like a Latter Day Pink Floyd album. Pretty much, <laughs> very, very much so. <laughs> but the uh, but because of this, I, it, it's. The recording dragged out forever, and so they recorded. They started recording this album in February of two thousand nine. They didn't. They didn't. It didn't finish it until July two thousand eleven. Right. So over two years they spent recording this thing, and you know it. 
I wasn't much of a Angels and Airwaves fan until recently. Right. And that first album never really worked for me, but no, the, I but, really need to give it another listen. Yeah, I, I, I Empire is a fantastic album. I would say I am, but I Empire is probably better than half of the Blink-182 albums. Oh, okay. And it's a fantastic album from beginning to end. Something I should go back and re-listen to. Yeah, but I think Neighborhoods has a lot of those elements from the other Angels and Airwaves kind of albums. Okay. That uh, it definitely has the Angels and Airwaves feel to me so there's a I, when you say disjointed it's more of like musically maybe. disjointed yeah there's you've got there, two there, very different styles yes, trying absolutely, to play against absolutely. each other and uh you know so tom admitted after the album's release that you know the uh that it was really recorded really uh, he blamed he really blamed the the lack of cohesiveness on really not being in the studio together, which obviously right. you could see that. Right. And and it uh it really led to the you know the the issues within the band. Right. And I know there were claims by Travis that Tom didn't give a shit about the about the album mm. and that he never even listened to the final mixes mm. of the album. Which, you know, that's a big red flag right there, I would I would, at least I would think there right. would be. And there were definitely frustrations within the band that came to light during the recording process and afterwards, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it, so they they start touring, and then in 2015, like, and it really depends on whose story you believe at this point. Right. On what happened. Which is going to be the case with any band that breaks up like this. Yeah, so they, I, I'm not sure if Tom was fired or if he just quit. According to Wikipedia, he was terminated. Okay. At least just the Wikipedia article for neighborhoods. So Tom so Tom says that he was fired. Mm-hmm. Uh Mark and Travis said that they received an email from Tom's manager that simply said Tom is out. Okay. So at that point they're like, okay, we're just gonna move on. There was no more trying to work around Tom's schedule and, and you know, Angels and Airways and To the Stars and all this other stuff that Tom had going on. It's a short yeah. album, too. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's like 36 minutes long. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's. I, I, I think that's probably one of the reasons why is because there was no co- cohesiveness right. in the recording process. Probably not enough material to. Maybe, yeah, I'm not work. sure. They, uh, you know, there's definitely some good songs off it, though. I mean, that, uh. I was trying to think the um I don't have I don't have the uh list here in front of me. Oh here we go. The uh Ghost on the Dance Floor is a great song. Uh Up All Night after and After Midnight, those are the two singles. two singles off of it. Those are both great songs. Love is Dangerous, which I think is the last song on there, is a fantastic song also. Mm. And, you know, it's it's a good album. I would probably rank it on the lower end right. if I was doing a a top list of, of Blink, Blink albums. albums. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's a better album than Buddha or Cheshire Cat, but that's probably it as far as ranking. I mean, there's, but there's some, and that's the funny thing is I'm, I'm on a uh, Blink-182 group on Facebook. And it's funny, the, the, the differences. Oh, yeah. There's either, there's either a faction. So there's one faction that is only the Tom DeLonge part of Blink-182. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people feel that Neighborhoods is the greatest album that the band ever created. Yeah. And then there's this other faction that is a fan of the 
whole Matt, catalog. Of the whole catalog. Yeah. They really enjoy the the Matt Skiba album, so California and Nine. Right. They both think those are great albums, and they have less affinity for neighborhoods. Hmm. You're and, more in the, the latter camp, it sounds like. Yes, I enjoy their entire catalog. Right. And I, I think Nine, I think, is probably one of the top two or three albums the band's ever made. So, okay. and, and, so I'm definitely in that latter camp. But I, I've had arguments. I've had the most ridiculous fucking arguments on <laughs> you've Facebook told me about a couple of them over this over this damn band and it's like people are just i don't know i don't understand the rational well the irrational thinking that some people go through i mean it's it's a band there's obviously a progression and you know what sometimes bands break up and they reform and they do other music and right. they go in different different directions and embrace that but it seems like these the 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 faction out there that is the anti Matt Skiba. They think when they think Blink One Eighty Two ended in when when Tom left the band. There is no Blink One Eighty Two after that. Mm-hmm. And if you are a fan of of California or Nine, you have zero musical taste. Is the way that they act. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been accused of telling people they have no musical taste, but never over anything as petty as something like that. Oh, I know, and, and like I said, I've had. I know I've told you about it before. I've had like the most ridiculous, like multi-hour conversation or disagreements. It's arguments basically about about music. But well, I've seen that with a lot of with with pretty much any band. You get, you know, for for there's I'm sure there's Pink Floyd fans who think you know without Roger Waters it's not Pink Floyd. Oh, absolutely. And then there's the people who are like, well, no, Pink Floyd goes through Division Bell. Tull, same thing. People think, and and you kind of maybe fall into this category. Once seventy nine hits and the original lineup is gone, it's not tall anymore. Well, I don't, good. I don't think that at all. I mean, I, I, I know that Jethro Tall, and I understand because right. there's, there's always a progression in music, right. and there's a progression that tends to go with musical trends. Mm-hmm. And Jethro Tall was a victim of some, I think, some very poor musical trends in the eighties that I think they got sucked into mm. to a certain degree. Maybe, but, but. There are a lot of fan bases out, or a lot of fans in within the base, that, as far as they're concerned, the uh, the band ended the in seventy nine. Band ends in seventy nine. You know, and I don't understand that. I don't get that. You know, no. I, there's like I said, there's gonna be. I expect there to be a musical progression. If you're, I, if I would band, hope so. If you're, yeah, exactly. If you're a band that is creating, you know, adolescent angst rock in nineteen ninety five, and you're still doing it in twenty twenty. Then your green There's day. a problem. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. <laughs> your green day. Your, your green, green day. Your green day making shit albums. Well, a shit album. I, I I'll stand behind the past albums, but oh yeah, well, yeah. But, Revolution yeah. Radio was a good album, but Father of All Motherfuckers. It's, it's, it's not it's a garbage. good album. It's just garbage, man. Well, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's garbage. It's just in not the, a good in, album. In the Green Day catalog, it's, it's garbage. Yeah. In the yeah. Green Day catalog, it's garbage. Now, yes, you're right. It is better than some of the other shit that I've heard out there. Yeah. But, you know, in that... By in, by there, the standard In comparison, set, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's complete it's, it's complete trash. Definitely a phoned-in. Yes. Um, so, yeah, then we move into to California. Okay. So the band Which I, I'd listen to yeah. halfway through, because that's where I, like I said, I stopped. It's, I got your house. Yeah. Right. So they hire Matt Skiba, and, and uh, it was 2015. That they bring in Matt Skiba, mm-hmm. and then they record this album. They release they release it in July of 2016, and it's a good album. I really enjoyed this album. I I enjoyed it 
more so in the last probably two years than what I did after. When it was released, when it was first released. It was a little rough on you. I was probably more so in that other camp. It was right. like, this isn't Blink. This yeah. is something completely different. They should have, when Tom left in 2015, they should have ended Blink-182. And if they wanted to do this this crap with Matt Skiba, Start they a new do, do it under plus 44 or something like that, which right. they, you know, Mark... And Travis had a band plus forty four oh. in the early two thousands. Did one, they did one album? It's a fan, it's a fantastic album. But anyway, they could have like moved on. That's kind of where I was at at the time. And right. then I kind of went back and listened to it. And it's like I realized that this album is much more reminiscent of "Take Off Your Pants and Jacket" mm-hmm. than anything else that the band had done. And once I kind of realized that and kind of accepted it for what it was. I realize that's a really fucking good album. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you know it's not as a it's not as cohesive as I would that as Nine is because mm-hmm. I think Nine is much more co- cohesive. Than, well, it's a, it's a group of guys getting to know each other exactly, and, and, and that's other. that's kind of what I was getting at. You know, at this point, uh, you know, Matt had been in the band for less than a year and they're recording an album, and the it sold it sold really good for an album released in 2016. Mm-hmm. It was just under 700,000 copies worldwide that it sold. So it did pretty good. Like I said, it's, it's pretty similar to Take Off. If you're a fan of Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, and if you're not in that camp of fans that think that the band ended in 2015, I think you'll enjoy California as an album. I enjoy what I heard of it so far, because that, that was my first run through with it. Yeah. So. It, it, it's an album that I think you could definitely tell Mark took more of the creative control Mm-hmm. of in the recording process because obviously he didn't have tom there and matt is kind of new to the band so i think it was really mark and this is also the first album that they had john feldman do the, the as as producer. producer and if you don't know who john feldman is he's the the lead singer and guitarist of goldfinger since inception mm-hmm. and john feldman is a world-renowned producer he's won multiple grammy awards and everything else like that he's uh he, he does a great job and i think it was a lot of i think if you listen to the most recent goldfinger album and you listen to california nine you see john feldman's influence on those okay. albums mm-hmm. and i think that's another thing that really turned a lot of blink 182 fans off of the last two albums is because there's been a, Goldfinger's gone through that progression also. Mm-hmm. You know, Goldfinger was you know this big punk band in the '90s, right in the right. late '90s, and then they kind of disappeared for ten years, and they come back with almost this kind of like newer sound. It's a progressed sound, mm-hmm. and there was this big backlash against Goldfinger because of that transition. I and would I argue think, that it's kind of the same issue that you talked about with the bands of the '70s coming into the '80s, because I did notice that I was going to point that out with Nine. There's modern, I wouldn't, I don't know how to describe it because it's really not. There's a late, or we'll say a, a twenty, late twenty teens vibe. Yeah, that is present there, like elements of things that I would just I would have expected to hear in like a Twenty One Pilots album or a, they they, def- you know, they definitely like they definitely use more like you definitely see more of. Travis's elevation evolution mm-hmm. musically because there's more of they use more like hip hop beats. Right. There is a little bit more electronic, especially in nine. Yeah, there, there's I was know, some, that some electronic beats that, that Travis uses, and because in the last five years or so, Travis has become 
a really popular hip hop drummer also. Right. And and I know a lot of people give him shit for, you know, that he uses too many fills and things along those lines. But I think that's kind of the sound he has created for himself, which lends itself to a bunch of different kind of genres of music. Right. And one of them being hip hop. So I think that kind of bled into into California and into nine right. also. And that's probably more worth, so in nine. I think. More so in nine. Right. Uh, and, and I think one of the best songs that Blink-182 has ever created is on nine and has a like hip hop electronic intro to the song. But oh, we'll get to that when we talk about nine. But right. it's, I, I think it's like, as far as California goes, I think California, like I said, it's a, to me at least, it's a better album than neighborhoods. Um, and I know we started talking, well, we were talking before we start recording. And the interesting thing is about California is the band had re- recorded or worked on over a dozen songs before John Feldman came on board. Mm-hmm. And once John comes on board, they kind of decided to scrap all those. And with with, with, with John, they, so they start all over. Mm-hmm. They record 28 songs with John Feldman as, as producer and they all all together they recorded almost 50 songs for this album. Mm-hmm. So I mean it, it, it's it, I know that I I've got the standard version and the deluxe version uh, on vinyl. And the stand and the deluxe version is a whole separate album. Right. I mean, there's an extra I think 16 songs right. that what that wasn't released on the on the original pressing or the original recording. So I mean it's a uh, I uh, so I'm, I'm I wonder if they're ever going to release all the rest of the music, or even if it's yeah, any of it's finished, it might or, show up in an anniversary box set. It could, it could. Or, but I know the band, along with with John Feldman, they spent up to eighteen hours a day in the recording studio working on this album. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, you know, through all the success that they had when Tom DeLonge was part of this band, California was their first number one album. First off, in fifteen years, mm-hmm. so it was the first number one album since "Take Off Your Pants and Jacket." And it was also their very first Grammy nomination, hmm. which I did not realize. I, I would have think, thought for sure that the band had been at least nominated prior to, at least from Enema or Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. But, right. Yeah, they're well, f- in those late late 90s and early 2000s, rock bands weren't getting nominated for anything. I guess. I mean, they really weren't. And, and even if they were, no one would even know about it because they weren't even showing the rock categories yeah. on the actual broadcast. Well, in the early 2000s, they were. Not really. No, no. It was more just the hip hop and R and B stuff. Well, that was you getting like boy bands and things. And like the that. boy bands, saying, exactly. You know. That makes sense. But uh, I know that uh, another big criticism that fans have of California and Nine, both albums, is for what a lot of people consider the use of ghostwriters, because Mark brought in writers from the outside to help work on these albums, including John Feldman, mm-hmm. which is, uh, it's a pretty normal thing nowadays. Right. The band is still writing the al- writing the songs. I know that uh, um, when Mark, at least for, was it, uh, I don't remember if it was for California or Nine, but in the recording or the writing process, t- uh, Mark would bring in a, a, a writer and one of the first things he'd ask the the other person is, okay, what's what's your biggest fear? And then they would kind of like work off of that and the craft mm-hmm. around that kind of topic, or that, go down those avenues with it at least. So I mean, it, it's 
I don't know. I don't have an issue with it. I don't have an issue with people using outside writers, just as long as they're the band is still writing the songs. Right. You know, I think the use of I think there's always been that. Well, thing. I mean, I think there's always I, been. It depends that. on the band, but I mean, Alice Cooper does that. He Alice Cooper's more of a lyricist. He doesn't write music. Yeah. Um, he's a lyricist. So he always has the lyrics, but he's got other people writing the music part of it yeah. that he's putting the lyrics to. Ozzy's the same way. Ozzy's not a musician. He's a lyricist. Yeah. You know? So they, you know, and if you look at, go back and look at their albums, the list of writers on all their albums is... But that's, what, know, that's what I was going to say, though, very, is I think that's always been a thing. But I think a lot of times people didn't get credit for the writing. Mm-hmm. You know, can, are, do you really think that Alan Parsons had nothing to do with the creation of Dark, Dark Side of the Moon. Moon? I would think he did. I would guarantee he did. Yeah. There's no credit on the album for it, though. Other than just being a producer. Other, he wasn't even a producer. He was, a, he was the engineer. Oh, I thought he produced it. No, he engineered it. Oh. Although, if you listen to the stuff that he did write with Alan Parsons' project, I mean, yeah, there's th- probably less than 15 songs that are actually decent. No, I know. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it, I mean, it's hard to say. There's not a lot redeeming from the Alan Parsons projects. No. But, I mean, and look, most of them are on one album. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying, though, is I think that's been a thing for a very long time, that there's been there's been parts that, uh, that you know, not necessarily other people have written, but, you know, hey, let me bounce this idea off you. Oh, and the other person will say, well, no, maybe go in this direction with this or, or do this with the bridge or do this or that. Mm. Technically, that's ghostwriting because you're not getting credit for it. But right. well, then that's what a producer would be doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of great songs off off California. I will say that California was kind of the. Uh, I know I mentioned both of the songs earlier. It, it was also kind of returned to that kind of like goofy song. Yeah, there's, inclusion. Some, there's a bit more humor going. There on is because, like I said, built built this pool and Bohemian Rhapsody are both of you know. The, well, and built this pool is like. 20 seconds long? Uh, well, Bohemian Rhapsody is 30 seconds okay. long. So. Yeah, I mean, it was just like a little bit of music, and we built this pool to, to see dicks or something. <laughs> to, to see naked dudes. Naked dudes, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It, it made me giggle. Like I said, yeah. I was pulling into your driveway just as that was on, and I was like, what? And then the song was over. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. The only lines of the song are, we built this pool to see some naked dudes. Yeah. And then I think there's like a little bit of like humming or giggling or yeah, something. Yeah, there's a little laughing at the end. Yeah, yeah, it just fades out yeah. to the next song. Although Ben Folds 5 did the same thing. I mean, well, Ben Folds music has always had a tongue-in-cheek kind of yeah. humor to it. But there, the Ben Folds 5, the reunion album, has a song on it called Draws it, Draw a Crowd. Uh-huh. And the, the, the chorus is, if you can't draw a crowd, draw dicks in the wall. I love that. I love that. I have no problem with with that kind of like humor. In, right. Just as long as the whole album isn't that. Right. I mean, yeah, I guess. It, it, you it, you'd get kind of, it'd get tiring. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of brings us to their most recent album. So Nine came out in September of last year. Mm-hmm. It was released through Columbia. So they kind of went from a, uh, they went from a smaller, I think BMG is a independent label now. Yeah, I guess they've always kind of been independent. So they moved from BMG, which was released, who, that's who released, uh, who they were with with California. And then they moved to Columbia, which is obviously a... Slightly bigger label. Well, yeah. very, very much bigger label. But They're all, all the music labels are practically indie labels nowadays. Oh, yes and no. I mean, it really depends on the amount of money behind them. But right. Anyway, it sold pretty good, actually. It sold uh, over 200,000 200, copies worldwide, which isn't bad in, what, a year and a half the album's been out? Right. Uh, and it, I'd say the vast majority of those sales were probably vinyl sales. 
<laughs> yeah, and I own half of them, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you have what? Three copies of I've it? I've got four, I think. Four copies because they did different color vinyls. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I've got I've got a black vinyl. I've got the the hot splatter, which was the pre order through mm-hmm. their website. I've got a pink. Which was the one in the Airborne Music had. Which one? They had the pink. The solid pink one? Solid pink one, yeah. So yeah, I've got the pink one, and then I think I've got an orange also. Hmm. I've got multiple colored right. vinyl copies of it. Yeah, so it, it's, and there's a, and there's probably two or three more that I'd like to get. Hmm. But I think my wife probably killed me. <laughs> <laughs> there are limitations, Nick. Mandy hates it when I buy like multiple copies yeah. of albums. I'm I'm not big on it either. There's a few that I will and have and done and but I'm not outside of the first three Blink 182 albums. I think I have multiples of all of them because I've got. Well, I only have one copy of End of the State right now, but I've got one on pre-order that I've had on pre-order for almost a year now. <laughs> from SRC, from people. SRC, yeah. SRC. If you haven't heard about that, we've talked about it many times. SRC vinyl, vinyl sucks ass. I've got uh, at least I think I've got three copies of Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think I've got four copies of self-titled. I've got two copies of neighborhoods because I've got the, the black cover and the white cover. Oh, okay. Cause I've got both of them up on my wall down there. And I also have two copies of California because I've got the standard and, and the, the deluxe, deluxe, which is also which, white and black. Well, they're not, cover. they're like one cot, one color, one cover is like a orange and yellow scene and the deluxe is like a purple and greenish i have to look at them again because it's, it's just it's the spotify exact, it's, it's the exact picture. same color it's the exact same picture but there's different color color variants mm, to the to the picture I have to look at them so yeah i've got multiple copies of a lot of them but. right and there's like i said there's probably another eight total that i'd like to get because i because i've got colored copies of buddha and cheshire cat but i don't have black copies of them right well i'm going to do the same thing with kind of crows i've got the ones that have been released on vinyl, I have black copies except for Underwater Sunshine, which is white. That was only released in white, I think. Yeah. Um, but the other three, I have the black for black copies, and I want they have colored versions. I'd like mm. to get, and I'll, I'll keep those. I'll keep because I want you know, Cutting Crows is like, I guess on the same level. With yeah. Me. So. But with uh, with nine though, nine is uh, an album that's once again produced by John Feldman. I'm sure they're probably gonna. Stick with John for at least the foreseeable. They seem future. to like to work with one specific producer, yeah. and I and I think with California and Nine, it's the proof is in the pudding. They're, mm-hmm. they're both of them are fantastic albums. Yeah. Uh, so Nine, I think, is musically a lot more similar to kind of like the dark undertones of their self-titled album. Yeah. It was definitely of, like I said, melancholy would be how I'd describe it. Yeah, and like I said, the band they. they were asked to go back and record a nice happy song, right. and they did that just to kind of brighten up the album a little bit. Yeah. But I think there's a, yeah, I think, like I said, you can also hear that this album is much more cohesive than even what they were on on Nine, because obviously now mean California. Oh yeah, that's one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. California, because they've they've over the last, the last couple of years they've they've grown together as musicians. Right. And I think Matt, and the next album may be even better than that. Maybe absolutely. And uh, I think Matt also had a lot more of an impact on this album than he did on California, at least writing wise and kind of crafting, help craft the right. the trends and the uh, the flow of the album. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, like I said, it's 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 another album. Like I said, it's been heavily criticized and 
by the fan base, which I I just don't see it. Right. I think it's just people wanting that sound from Enema of the State. Right. You know, and I think if you're someone that grew up in the early 2000s, I guess that's the song, that's, that's the sound that you go to. I guess for the same thing, like when I'm, if I'm listening to 80s music, I kind of lean towards that like Guns N' Roses sound of right. the of the late nineties or late eighties, right? Mean. The harder edge of the hair bands. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. So I, I, I so I see that, but I mean, I would never think Guns N' Roses in twenty twenty should be recording Appetite, Appetite for Destruction, Destruction still. Yeah. Although they probably could, probably not. Well, I'm, no, no, it sure, wouldn't sound anything like. I'm it, sure. But, I'm sure they tried. Yeah, but I mean, there wasn't anything. Uh, thematically you know uh, aged like on that album there wasn't yeah. anything on it that spoke of their age yeah. maybe, well maybe Mr. Brownstone or <laughs> yeah. uh, Night Train maybe but yeah. anyway yeah I get what you mean though yeah and uh, I know like many of the songs on Nine really focused on like the self-doubt and like isolation aspects of life, and that's kind of I think where you get a lot of those that like melancholy right. lyrics from. And like I said, you know the the people that they did bring in, I I I like ran through a list of them earlier, and there's no one like I had really even heard of before. So mm-hmm. I'm not even sure. I don't know. I just don't have like I said before. I just don't have an issue with the way that people write songs nowadays. Because as long it, as it's just tweaking what they what they've already come up with as a group or yeah. as the artist, I don't. I wouldn't want to, if you had said that these songs were not written by the band, they were just ghostwritten, and then the band played them, that would be well, a that's, little bit that's different. different. That's different. That's different. But, but when you've got a song like Heaven, the song Heaven is about the Thousand Oaks mass shooting. Mm-hmm. They happened two blocks, or not two blocks, it was like two miles from Travis's house. Mm-hmm. So the, obviously there's like, there's personal things written in this album. Obviously right. this album is not being written by people outside right. of the band. Yeah. I don't know. It's a... Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's a fantastic. Like I said, it's, I think it's one of their, their Blink One Eighty Two's best albums. Okay. But overall, it's a fantastic album. Though. I, yeah, I, I liked it. If you look at, if, I mean, if if you listen to songs like uh, "Happy Days," which I think is a, one of the better songs song. on there, "Heaven's a Fantastic Song," "Dark Side," "Blame It on My Youth," "Black Rain," which I know you said you liked. I like that one. A lot. Uh, I really wish I hated you. Which I the first time I listened to it, I I thought it really had like a uh, uh, Taylor Swift kind of not like sound but i was like i could see taylor swift saying this line that's kind of the way i <laughs> that's unfortunate <laughs> <laughs> but it's not it's not at all indicative of what the song sounds like right. um and then no heart to speak of which is a fantastic song and i think the last song in the album remember to forget me i think is probably one of the best blink 182 songs that they've ever written and it's a song that like i said starts out with a very much with with a like electronic beat that morphs into like a hip hop beat, which morphs into a, rock just a beat. rock beat. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's an interesting progression, percussion wise. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a just a fantastic song. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the album. But yep, yep. You, you, you concur, Ian. I concur. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I've made it through the through the whole line. Let me let me tell you my misconception. Okay. Yeah. Now that now that we've um, now that I've completely forgotten all about as, that. But. As someone who was more of a even less than a casual listener, you know, just basically hearing what you, what you were playing. I didn't realize first of all that 
the band's formed in 92. I And I didn't realize that Cheshire Cat came out in 95. Yeah. Because I always kind of saw Blink as like, not a, not copying Green Day, but it's yeah. like, well, they're, kind, they're enough like Green Day, but Green Day does it better. Yeah. Kind of a thing. But now reviewing and knowing... That their existence is not that that it, far it, separated. It almost parallels. Parallels very much. I mean, Green Day was first, but um, we're talking by just a couple years. Yeah. And I think reviewing this, I kind of see it more like an, an, uh, more of the analogy of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Whereas they weren't copying each other. They were doing similar stuff, mm-hmm. but different enough at the time and on along their own paths yeah so but in the past my misconception was it was like you know you know blink's fine but green day does it better yeah in my opinion and that that's the misconception that i think i always had that i don't have anymore that have gone back and listened to some of these albums or the earlier albums specifically i see and they're not they're 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 not the same no Musically at all. I mean, they're both pop punk bands, but mm-hmm. their their musical style and direction is very different. Very, very different. So that was that was the misconception I always had. And, okay. Like, um, I, I, and I can see that. You know, like I said, it's, it's something that now I, I've been able to get away from. Yeah. You know. the, the kind of like the interesting thing is about, you know, to kind of wrap this whole conversation up mm-hmm. is, you know, like, if you look at like the legacy of Blink-182, Really outside of, really outside of Green Day, I would say that Blink One Eight Two is probably the has the like I said outside of Green Day the biggest legacy of any of those bands really from the nineties, right? Pop punk bands, or just bands in general of the nineties. I think a lot of those like the way that rock. If you take alternative bands of the two thousands. Like that music has really kind of gone away. Oh, it did not age well. Yeah, and and at least with like that pop punk sound that that bands like Green Day and Blink and Offspring, Offspring, you know, Goldfinger, those kind of bands were doing. That's still kind of a sound nowadays. I mean, it's, yeah, that, that sound still exists. It, it still it still exists. And that's why I th- and that's why I think it, the their music has more of a a lasting effect on bands today. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, and it's without Blink. No, and I, granted, you probably don't like or even have heard of a lot of these bands, but without Blink-182, I mean, there's no Fallout Boy. There's no Panic at the Disco, which Panic at the Disco started out actually as a Blink-182 cover band. Mm. There's no Paramore. There's no Fueled by Ramen Records. There's no All Time Low. The Main Five, Five Seconds of Summer, You, Me at Six, Good Charlotte, Avalavine, Chainsmokers, Mumford & Sons, A Day to Remember. All these bands have listed... Blink One Eight Two as one of their influences. main influences, yeah. Mumford and Son, I don't see it, but those other bands, pretty much. And yeah. Good Charlotte, I do like Good Charlotte. Yeah, you know. So I, th- I think the argument can be made that uh, that Blink is at least one of the most influential bands of the past twenty twenty five years right. in in music, and 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 much sim and much in the same way that, like I said, with the Beatles and the Stones. The Beatles did it first by just a very small amount of time. Yeah. But it, theoretically, or at least hypothetically, if the Beatles hadn't done it, the Stones couldn't have done it. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. Whereas Green Day, yeah, Blink is hugely in, in, influential. Green Day started it. If Green Day hadn't done it, Blink may not have been able to do yeah. it. But they're they're very much entwined with each other as 
as two groups. Yeah, can abso- be, absolutely, so. absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't know. if you're if you haven't listened to their whole catalog, definitely go out there and check it out. Even they've got a uh, a live album. It's called the Mark Tom and Travis Show, mm-hmm. which is I mean, as far as like live albums go, it's it's a really it's a really good live album. The funny thing is like the whole so it's a double album as far as if you get it on vinyl. vinyl, right? So side D of the vinyl is literally nothing but Mark and and Tom giving each other shit on the stage from like just a bunch of different shows spliced yeah, together. Spliced together. It's, it's kind the of The banter. Yes, yeah. exactly. But that's, that's cool. cool. Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting interesting way to do like a, a the, to end a live album because a lot of those if you see a, I've seen a lot of albums and I have several of them. They mm-hmm. have three sides, an A, B and a C. And then there's nothing on site right. D. It's so usually I mean, a, an etching. An etching or something like that. So do something with it. So they decided to do something with it, I guess. But. <laughs> Back to Ben Folds 5, there, that album, that last Ben Folds 5 album, yeah. is three sides. The fourth side, it's just an etching, and it says, and it's, uh, it says Dick's on the Wall, and then underneath it says, don't put your needle on this side, it'll really fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. I just like that. <laughs> yeah. but, but anyway, that's it. That's all it's, I got. Uh, anything else to add there, nope, man? No, nope, so. I'm good. No, so yeah, definitely. Like I said, go check out their yeah, their albums. It's, uh, it really depends on what what day it is. Blink One Eighty Two is one of my top three bands, mm-hmm. and it really kind of goes back and forth between Blink One Eighty Two, Pink Floyd, and, and MXPX. MXPX. Yeah, and, you know, some days I'll say one band's one uh, number one. Next day I'll say it's a different one. I so. do the same thing with. Uh, well, not not really, but I mean, Jethro Tull obviously is my favorite band. Yeah. My second favorite band pretty much is Counting Crows. Yeah. You know, but number three is always going to be yeah. interchangeable between Green Day, Kansas, yeah. whatever, like you said, whatever mood you happen whatever, to be in. Yeah, whatever mood I'm in. But, uh, but sorry, uh, yeah, any uh, questions or comments, you can email us at contact at ligpodcast.us. Check us out on Twitter at ligpod. We're on Facebook, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, just about everywhere else. Hey, and if you go on uh, iTunes, go ahead and leave us a five star review. Definitely. That's all I got, man. I'm good. Until next time, talk to y'all later. Peace. Play my role, let me tell you about it. This shit right here, man, I'm about about it. Only real niggas reside around me. Yo, lady, drop a card around me. Dip like I know you can, bitch. Show me the rust like we in the ring. Got you two cobras, you wanna hang? Shoulder to shoulder, them niggas basic. You know I won't lie. Know that I ain't for that fuck shit You niggas alright But I'm way better and she love it Know that y'all sick as fuck Here go this tissue, bro We taking the dub Hoping you get you some This here like a pick-me-up She taking my drugs Know they see the signs That's from down the side Know they sick as fuck Know they sick as fuck Tell them get well soon Tell them get well soon Know you sick as fuck Get well soon Oh shit Watch out, you the god, Billy Oh shit